Mark. I solicit, I solicit your prayers tonight. This hasn't been one of my better days. And if we afforded the preacher the same convenience that the saints, I would have all called in sick. <laughs> do we have the same privilege? Do we, do we have the same privilege? Just, just call in and say, hey, look, I can't make it. But I wouldn't feel any better at home than I do here. I wouldn't feel as good. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm not a martyr. I'm not, not sacrificing myself, but I do solicit your prayers tonight and uh, your attention. We're certainly living in some very precarious days, and our full intention, of course, was to continue to talk on discouragement and then courage. We had gotten through our discouragement, and we were going to start in on courage tonight. But in reading that and chasing down a scripture that I wanted to use, the Lord prompted my mind or made me to look real closely at the 13th chapter of St. Mark, the 13th verse. Now, there's a lot that leads up to that, and we'll read down to it, including that, but I couldn't get away from that. And he just dropped a few thoughts in my heart that I thought good before we go into the courage, how do we receive courage and react in the courage of the Lord, it would be good if we could drop these thoughts into your heart tonight. I want to, now Jesus is talking, of course, about the end of time and some of the things that's going to transpire before the uh, end of time. And beginning at the fifth verse, the 13th chapter, it said, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. Now, that's a, that's a sermon within itself. Take heed lest any man deceive you. And the Bible also tells us that there's many deceivers that's went out into this world. And there's many deceivers in our world today. So it word take heed, that means to watch closely. That means to look carefully. That means to see that you're guided only by the steady hand of the Master. And this is what he says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must need be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Not too much to shout about yet, is there? I mean, there's, uh, and he starts off with that. You, you take heed. You begin to watch. When you see these things come to pass, you've got to realize that things won't get better, but they are going to get worse. That as far as the world is concerned. Now, where the hope is, is when the world gets worse, God gets better. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Praise God. When the world gets real bad, uh, then God begins to mean a lot to us. And the world begins to mean less to us because we see it crumbling and falling. But then again, that same word that he inserts in the ninth verse, from the fifth verse, as he said, but take heed to yourself. Now, when he does that several times in the chapter, that means it's important. So he says it again, but take heed to yourselves. 
For they shall deliver you to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten. Ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. That's why missionary work is so important. That's why we need to get missionary-minded. It's because the great television ministries, they're doing some good and they're flashing it across the world, but they're not going to get the job done because the majority of these third world countries don't have televisions. And it's still a one-on-one thing, and these individuals that God has called and picked simply are publishing the gospel in their nation. And then it says, But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. There again it's telling us we need the Holy Ghost. And not only do we need the Holy Ghost, but we need the Word. Because what it's trying to tell us is the Holy Ghost will... Uh, prompt our minds to that which we already know. It's not going to give us any new revelations whatsoever or reveal anything to us that we don't know. Everything we read in this Bible is put in this computer up here called our brain, and we may feel like it never registers, it's never there, but God is trying to tell us, put it there, read it, be concerned about it, and when the time comes for you to speak, then the Holy Ghost will move upon you Activate that, and you'll be able to speak and give the answer that is needed in that day. We'll never know what to say to the world. We'll never know what to say in that day. And then it goes on to say, But now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And verse number 13, And it shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But... He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Let's go over that portion again, and that seemed to be illuminated by the Spirit of the Lord. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Any definition for endure, whether it comes from the Greek word or what, is always the same. It simply means to bear up under, to last, to suffer through, Submit to or to undergo. So actually he's telling us here that we have to endure, we have to bear up under, we have to lash through it, we have to suffer through it, we have to submit to God, and we have to undergo whatever there is that God calls upon us to undergo. Now in reading Daniel 7.25 he tells us that when the beast is in full power, he's going to do two things. He's going to think to change times and laws. And then he is going to think to wear out the saints of the Most High. I want you to grab hold of that word. He's going to think to wear out the saints of the Most High. Now, in reading that, you need to notice that these things will only climax, not start that. So I think it's safe to assume tonight that the many antichrists that John says in 1 John 2 that was already working in the world has already 
begun this type of work. Now what tactic does the devil use more often than anything else to wear out the saints of the Most High? How many of you have ever felt like you've really been wearing? <laughs> I mean, you really, things are grinding. Things are rough. There's good times, of course, in God, but there's just times when it just seems like everything is going wrong. And when you look at that, what causes wear faster? When you look at it, and of course that word is friction. Friction is the act of rubbing one thing against another, and this causes a wearing. And uh, figuratively speaking, of course, that's a lack of harmony, and we realize there's friction in the home, and the devil is seeking to wear out the saints of the Most High by friction in the home. There's friction on the job, and he's seeking to wear out the saints of the Most High on the job. And there's friction in the church, and he's seeking to wear thin the patience of God's people in the church. But the main cause of friction is not necessarily friction in the home where he works, not necessarily on the job, or not necessarily in the church. The main battle we have, and the main cause of friction, is the old Adamic nature warring against the divine nature of God. Always fighting, always warring, never in harmony. And so the time you wake up of the morning, old carnal nature rises up against that divine nature that God has given you, and there becomes friction. There's always been enmity. God said that there would be uh, uh, from the righteous seed and the unrighteous seed. And this, of course, causes friction. So in us, individually, is where the powers of hell is working the most. That's where the most friction is in our lives. Is there's always war. We're a battleground. How many of you know we're a battleground? In other words, we're a battleground of God. He's seeking to control us. He's seeking to initiate His life in us. He's seeking to expound His way to us. And then, of course, the devil, who has had control of all of our lives, sometimes longer than others, is seeking to control us. He's seeking that we should walk after His ways. And, of course, there's a rubbing. There's a friction. There's a wearing process, you see. And according to Daniel, that's exactly what the beast power. It doesn't have to be a man. It could be a spirit that has been initiated from almost day one. And it's a conflict and it continually wears upon the saints of the Most High God. And he'll seek to use this tactic until he wears us completely down if he can. Now, Mark tells us, in a chapter before that, about some seed that was stolen on stony ground. Now, I'm not too sure that uh, this ground was prepared as much as it could have been. It's hard to prepare stony ground uh, to receive seed. But nevertheless, leave that as it may, it said this seed was sown on stony ground and said it received the word. But then it says, but having no roots in themselves... They simply endure for a time. In other words, friction began to come. Old Adamic nature for a while had lost its conquest. 
It had lost its battle. We had taken on a new nature, a divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, and things were good for a while, and then having no root in here. In other words, there has to be something solid. There has to be a foundation. There has to be something we can reach down to when things get rough and realize we're solidified by that. In other words, our roots have got to run deep. I know of no deeper place than the Lord Jesus Christ to get them entangled around that rock of salvation and realize that if some way the roots of our spiritual life could go under that rock, then nothing could cause us to be down or disturbed or discouraged. But that doesn't rid us from the continual grind and warfare of this life. The Bible says they endured for a time until, until something came along, and that was riches and lust of other things, and it choked the word. It choked the word. In other words, there wasn't any place for the word to do good in their lives. The word of God, which is belittled by so many people, you can go in churches all over the land and about what they want is a good time. They want to shout, they want to rejoice, they want to run the aisles, they want to speak in tongues, and when it comes time for the word of God, about 15 minutes is about all they want and can endure. But friend, I want to tell you this, and I've told you this before, when the shout is gone, God's still going to be there. When you can't speak in tongues, God is still going to be there. When you can't run the aisles and when you can't dance, friend, the Word of God is a solidifier. That's the thing that we need to get our grip into and cause our roots to grow deep under there and have a desire for that, have a hunger for that, because it's the only thing that's going to keep us from falling in these last days. And to remember the scripture, he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. This sounds like work to me. Amen? This sounds like resistance to me. This sounds like a job to me. This sounds like something that we've got to take charge of our lives in order to maintain our spiritual life in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this almost sounds to me like there needs to be 24-hour prayer in our lives, uh, Bible study in our lives, a desire way down inside to know what God wants out of our lives and to feel challenged by it. It's of no value to start a race and run it halfway and then falter or fall. The Bible tells us if we endure until the end, the same shall be saved. Now, in reading and studying that, the Bible lists five things in which our endurance level is going to be tested. I don't know if you're aware of what they are or not, but in these things, God wants to perfect us or bring us to maturity, and at the same time, God is trying to do that. The devil is trying to destroy us, and you have this friction. You have this wearing that the Bible talks about. He'll think to wear out the saints of the Most High. I don't know of anything that works as good as wearing out the saints of the Most High. In other words, adding some of these 
uh, hardships that we're going to talk about just a little while tonight. And these five things are our test of endurance. What do we have? How can we endure? Now, the first one comes from 2 Timothy, and it said, Thou therefore endure hardness or hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In other words, there comes in our Christian experience some hardships. God didn't promise us a bed of roses. God didn't promise us there'd be no thorns or thistles. God didn't promise that the roads would always be easy, but he told us here to test our belief in him. We had to endure hardness or hardships as a good soldier. Noteworthy that we have enlisted in an army. And when we left the battleground of Satan, we immediately was introduced to God's army. And he said, you need to endure this hardships. In other words, I think we need to look at our lives. I've had cause to look at mine the past two or three weeks. And the challenges that's been brought there and the despondency sometimes. If you don't undergo despondency and discouragement, then you'd hardly know how to uh, uh, appeal to other people in this area. And I've had my times of hardships and things that come our way with our daughter and all of these other things that's happening almost everywhere you look. And I begin to wonder, God, are you really mindful of the fact that I'm yours? Do you really know, I mean, am I really yours, truthfully? Or am I straight off someplace down the track? Have I walked uh, erroneous in you? And if that be the case, God, and I'm really yours, and I'm your son, why all these problems, mental stress and mental strain and it almost blows your mind and physical things that come into your life and almost destroys you. And then the sweet voice of God way, way down inside from the very core of my soul says I want you to endure hardships as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what I'm trying to you do to you boy is to mature you. And what the devil is trying to do is destroy you. I doubt seriously any of you out there have that type of a problem, but I'm just relating you my experience. An experience that uh, lets me to know that when everything goes wrong, doesn't necessarily mean I went wrong. (laughs) When nothing seems to go right, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm on the wrong track. Most of the time it means... We're right where God wants us to be. And if some way we can realize that God puts us in these places to mature us. And we can get a grip on Him. (laughs) And whenever that time comes, don't run from God, run to Him. And don't run away from His Word. Get yourself in there. There's no answers anywhere else. It's the only place you can find an answer in the sorrowing cry of this world. There is none nowhere else. You can read all the intellectual books you want to. You can follow after philosophy. And you can follow after the psychiatrist and the psychologist. And they don't hold the answer. The only answer to this sorrowing crowd this world into God's people is to sink our teeth a little bit deeper in that and let our roots grow under that rock which is our salvation and hold fast 
time, not at the end of the rope if you have to, and hold on because Jesus is coming and he said, you endure to the end, you're going to be saved. Hallelujah. Well, he's not long. (laughs) I said he's not long. Because one of the signs with them all is that the powers of hell is going to seek to wear out the saints of the Most High. And truthfully speaking, have you ever seen as many problems in a saint's life and Christian's life as they have nowadays? And the devil, again, would like to look at us and say, well, you missed the boat somewhere. And it's always good to check and see if we missed it. See if there's something that's gone awry and we don't know anything about. But Timothy tells us, we're going to check our endurance level. We're going to see just how much you can endure. Because you've got to fight a battle to win. And a lot of people get killed. And a lot of people get wounded. And all of this. But he says, I want to test you. I want to try you. I'm not a sadistic God. He tries to tell us that. I'm not a sadistic God, but I know what I want out of you. I know what it takes to get that. I know what it takes to drive you to your knees. And friend, we're never any closer to God than we are when we are on our knees, placing ourselves at His disposal and saying, God, I've tried man's remedies. I've tried Him in every way, and I have not found Him sufficient. And so, God, I'm trying you tonight. I'm putting myself in your hands, and you're going to see me through this crisis. Hallelujah. That's number one. Number two, Timothy again tells us, Paul writing to him, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Let's look at that just a little bit. If I can find that in 2 Timothy. And let's let's look and see a little bit about what uh, the Apostle Paul is telling. Third chapter, just a little bit from that. Now, Paul had just got through explaining in the third chapter to Timothy what was going to happen in the last days. He said, peerless times is going to come. And it tells everything that's going to happen. Lovers of their own self, covetous, without natural affection, having a form of godliness, and all of this. And then he says, but evil men and seducers. Let's read the 12th verse. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, live godly, notice that, shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he tells Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is on our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did you get that? What is able to make you wise? The Scriptures are able to make you wise. Then he says, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable. This Bible we have is profitable to us. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness for a reason that the man of God may be perfect, that is mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then he lays a heavy on Timothy as he says, I charge thee therefore. 
before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. In other words, Paul is saying here, Timothy, I'm giving you a charge. Now that from the Greek simply means I'm making you liable. I'm making you a debtor. I'm giving you a charge. And then he says that charge is this. Preach the word. Somebody say amen. Preach the word. In other words, there's no greater charge given to anyone and it still follows down to your day and mine and it lands upon our shoulders in the very core of our soul as God still says to us, preach the Word. Individuals need the Word of God. Individuals is solidified by the Word of God. There's power in the Word of God. There's initiative in the Word of God. There's honor in the Word of God. There's abilities in God's Word. And there's comfort in God's Word. And designs of our life is in God's Word. And all that mankind would open their Bibles, open their ears, and that individual preachers would receive the same chart that Timothy received, and that was, I'm making you liable. You notice the last Sunday night before or sometime, I forgot when, when we talked about Paul being a debtor. And he said he was a debtor to the Greek why he owed them, or simply because God gave him a charge. He made them a, him a debtor to them. And he says, now you're a debtor, you're indebted, and you have been made liable to preach the word. And then he said, you be instant. In other words, you be urgent. In other words, you make it a pressing matter. In other words, you realize had a responsibility is upon your shoulders. Some way, somehow, I want to speak to preachers tonight. If they could realize the awesome responsibility that is upon their shoulders. And realize it's a matter of life and death. And the responsibility is theirs. You be instant. You be pressing. You be urgent. In season. In other words, when it's convenient... And then he says something else, and that's hard. When he says it, when it's inconvenient. Or in other words, whenever they're listening, or when they're not listening, you preach the Word. That's your charge. Amen. That's your charge. And then he says, reprove. Reprove me means, simply means to expose. Sometimes I wonder about the failure of us there. I'm taking a good lesson of myself. I wish other ministers would follow it. Because it simply means to expose or to censor. And he's telling Timothy to reprove or to expose. Expose sin. How do you expose sin? Where's it at? It's in individual lives. I wonder if the church world is ready for this. I'm wondering if preachers are ready to do it. I question my own designs. Because it, it is in within the heart of humanity to always...